Shot Eleven, of The Right Way to Do Wrong, an expose of successful criminals. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leanne Howlett The Right Way to Do Wrong, an expose of successful criminals by Harry Houdini. Shot 11. The Game of Wits. When the corn husking is over and the county fairs begin their annual three and four day sessions in a thousand agricultural centers, a silent army of confidence men and swindlers make ready for their richest harvest of the year. The county fairs are rich fields for their particular work, and they intend to make the most of their opportunities. The three-shell game man has been a feature of such gatherings from time immemorial. The game in some form or other has been played ever since Rome was founded. Three half-walnut shells or metal covers are used, and a small and exceedingly lively pea made of soft rubber. The gaping yokel is invited to pick the shell under which the pea reposes. The clever manipulator tosses it from one to another, then with an apparent awkward twist seems to throw it under a certain one. The rustic backs his opinion with his coin. The shells are lifted. The former was mistaken and pays for his experience. It is only another case of where the manipulation of the hand deceives the eye. They say that a new sucker is born every minute. Certain it is that this old game finds its dupes as plentiful as in the days of our grandfathers. The callow youth of today is willing to bet his last cent that he can put his finger on the shell that covers the pea, for he has seen it put there. But if the unsuspecting countryman is an easy mark for cheats at his county fairs, he is often even more accessible when he comes to the city. The following story, copied entire from the New York Telegraph, is especially good on account of its breezy style and true-to-life description of the methods of the quick-witted gentry. The story is entitled, was kind to strangers. Oh, the shame of it that S.G. Dabdub of Jersey City should journey all the way from his native Heath to Boston and there accept bad money from a stranger. Hideous circumstance, malicious fate. If there is a Mrs. Dabdub, what will she say? Dabdub, the very name smacks of caution. But when he reached Boston and saw all the houses, and still was gazing upon them from his point of vantage at the railroad station, a stranger who had been peering furtively from the dense underbrush observed him. After retiring behind a freight car and throwing a few joyous handsprings, as if pleased at something, the stranger muttered, "'He will do. I have not waited in vain. Tonight in my palatial residence there shall be joy and feasting and seeming laughter. Ah, it is good to live!' After this mysterious and ingrowing conversation, sometimes eclept monologue, the stranger dashed up to Mr. Dabdub of Far Jersey, and said in his panting tone of a man who had gone seven furlongs under the spur of cruel circumstances, "'Can you give me change for a fifty-dollar bill?' Mr. Dabdub could, would, and did, and the stranger, without stopping to count the money, placed a bill in the Jersey man's hands, expressed his thanks in a monosyllable, and hurried away. Horrors! The bill he left behind was a Confederate one. Mr. Dabdub, incensed, pursued, but the stranger wore the seven-league boots of successful guilt, and it is unlikely that Nick Carter could have caught him. 
Dabdub went to the police, who wept with him and addressed him as if he had been a public meeting. Here is another adroit swindle that might also be considered better than a gold brick. Some time ago a young fellow with a violin under his arm entered a marketplace in one of our large cities, made his purchase, and then found himself short of money. However, he offered the fiddle a security while he fetched the necessary amount of cash. Scarcely had he left the place when a well-dressed man entered and saw the fiddle on the counter. He examined it and cried out that it was a Stradivarius. "'Why, I'll give you three hundred dollars for it,' he said. The shopkeeper refused to sell it without consulting the owner, and the second stranger went away, leaving five dollars for the refusal of the treasure. Presently the first rogue returned, was informed of the offer, and said he would agree, providing the tradesman would give him one hundred fifty dollars down. The victim complied, and neither of the swindlers ever returned. The fiddle was worth about one dollar fifty cents. But don't get the idea that farmers and small shopkeepers are the only prey of the bunco man, the swindler, and the confidence man. A city man on a farm the first time and trying to run it is of a greener green than a farmer in a city buying gold bricks. Here are some games successfully played on the dwellers in cities. The Clever Sofa Game Of all the men who live by their wits, the English crook who conceived and carried into successful execution the so-called sofa game certainly deserves the palm. So ingenious, so daring, and yet so simple is this scheme that it deserves a special description. The reader will notice that it partakes both of the nature of a confidence game and a first-class burglary job. The game requires the cooperation of several members of a gang, one of whom must be a boy or a young man of small stature and slender physique. Sometimes a young woman is employed who, if discovered, throws herself upon the mercy of the householder. The gang first selects the residence of some wealthy citizen. If inside information about the silver and jewels to be looted can be secured, so much the better. The habits of the members of the family are closely observed, and then at an hour when the fewest possible people are at home, the plan is put into execution. This is what happens. A furniture wagon drives up to the house, and a well-dressed man of respectable appearance and plausible address rings the front doorbell. The door is opened. The following conversation ensues. Is this the residence of Mr. John Rahner? Yes, but Mr. Rahner is not at home. Dear, dear, that is unfortunate, but however it does not matter. I have been commissioned as chairman of a committee of the Dearborn Lodge, naming some order to which the householder actually belongs, to present Mr. Rahner with this beautiful sofa, indicating an imposing piece of furniture on the wagon. Shall my men bring it in? Why, yes, if you are sure this is the right place. No mistake about that, madam. Mr. Rahner is greatly esteemed by the members of the lodge, and this gift is to be a complete surprise. So in the sofa is carried and deposited in a place of honor in the drawing-room. The polite lodge member, depreciating all thanks, departs and the team drives away. A few hours later the polite stranger reappears in hot haste and the wagon drives up again. He is profuse in his apologies, but an error has been made. So unfortunate, so sorry to inconvenience you. But do you know I have made such a stupid blunder about the address? The sofa is to go to Brother John Rahner of South Main Street instead of North Main Street. Would it be too much bother to allow my men to enter and take it away? We are very anxious to deliver it before Brother Rahner returns, as it is a surprise for him. Of course, there is nothing to be done but let the beautiful sofa go. 
and amid the apologies and excuses of the polite stranger, the sofa is again carried forth to the wagon and is driven away. The polite stranger also disappears, and it is needless to say, is seen no more in that part of the town. The next act on the program is the startling discovery that the house has been robbed of, perhaps, many thousands of dollars worth of jewels and silver. How was it done? The explanation is very simple. The sofa is specially constructed with a hollow compartment of considerable size. Inside a girl has been concealed, who, when the sofa is left alone, quietly comes out and ransacks the place and retreats with her plunder into this convenient hiding place. Girl, plunder, and sofa are then all carried away together, and the thieves make good their escape without delay. This is a new game, and as I say, has been worked with many variations and usually with success in almost every city in England and on the continent. Rap. I look upon you, sir, as a rascal. Partey. You are privileged to look upon me in any character you desire to assume, sir. Did you ever go to a military ball? asked a lisping maid of an army veteran. No, my dear, growled the old soldier, but once I had a military ball come to me, and what do you think? It took my arm off. End of shot 11. Recording by Leanne Howlett.